and welcome to Inquiring Minds, the Writing and Literacy SIG podcast. My name is Tori Pennington, and I'm here with Christopher Terrazas. Today's episode, the Writing and Literacy SIG podcast aims to highlight scholarship, discuss contemporary issues, and engage in conversation with SIG members and the greater writing and literacies field. Through engaging in dialogue, we hope to ignite nationwide discussions amongst faculty and graduate students concerning topics that are timely and pertinent to the scholarship on the relationship between writing, literacies, and the broader field of education. Today's episode will be centered on the topic of writing critical feminist pedagogies. And before we begin today's discussion, we would like for our participants to introduce themselves their institutions, and how their scholarship aligns with writing and literacies. And Ileana, we'll have you go first. Am I really going first? Uh, should we have Dr. Celia Ruiz go first? Or? <laughs> it's you. <laughs> um, my name is Ileana Jimenez. I am a doctoral candidate in English education. Um, at Teachers College Columbia in New York. Um, I just completed 26 years of high school teaching English, and um, I'm still processing that, the, both the grief and joy of that. Um, and I think the way that my work connects to the conversation for today in particular is that all of the work that I did with high school students for over two decades was really through a Black and Latina feminist, intersectional feminist lens, and engaging them through self-actualization, journeys of, of, of inner work and journeys of um, writing and reading, not only for the sake of clinical writing, but really writing to get to know themselves and reading themselves. You know, I'll jump in. Um... My name is Yolanda Sealy Ruiz. I'm a professor of English education at Teachers College, Columbia University. Um, I believe my work connects with today's topic because it's pretty much my life, you know, as a Black female who deeply lives um, the need for Black feminism, right, in the society that we're in. Um, when I write, I try to write my story. And when I engage, um, whether it's my high school students um, or the students at Teachers College who either embody, who are Black or Latina and feminist or not, but to understand the power of Black feminism really at the root of it is about um, freedom and equity and equality. So um, I feel that the work that I'm doing and particularly a project that um, Autumn and I actually just completed really centers um, deeply on Black feminism. And I'm grateful for the guidance of Black feminism in particular. I can jump in next. Um, Ileana, I know you're still processing, but 26 years is so commendable and so dope, especially considering the world we're in today where we don't see teachers stay that long. So I just wanted to highlight that. Um, my name is Autumn Griffin. I am a postdoctoral research associate at Georgia State University. My research centers Black girlhoods, love, and digital literacy. I think that in the world we're living in today, where not only does shifting media mean that we're also seeing shifts in the ways that Black women and girls and girls of color are uh, like oppressed, um, 
and also just experience oppression online and in media, it is so important, like Yoli was saying, to think about how they're telling their stories, right? How they're telling their stories as a form of resistance, what stories they're choosing to tell and what mediums they're using to tell. Um, and to see how they do that with such love, right? And to see how they focus on loving themselves and other Black girls and forming community um, is really where my work is rooted and that's my connection to Black feminism. Um, and so, yeah, excited to engage in this talk with y'all today. Well, here I am, the caboose. Uh, so I am Dr. <laughs> Tamara Butler. I serve as the executive director of the Avery Research Center for African-American History and Culture, where I am at the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And, you know, I've been really trying to think about where my work sits with writing and literacies. I know where it has, where it has been. Um, and how it really thinks about the work of um, of girls, girls of color, and then Black girls in particular. And so, and I think a piece of writing that really took off was Black girl cartography, and so thinking about Black girl placemaking. Um, and as uh, Lauren Cahill taught me, placekeeping. Um, and now I'm I, now that I'm back home, I've been thinking a lot about um, how we write a place. And what does that mean? So black women and girls ways of um, of mapping out a place. So trying to put some, put a little bit of fire uh, behind black girl cartography. So, yeah. Nice, that leads us perfectly into our next question. What are the genealogies you draw from in your work as black and Latina feminist scholars in writing and literacies? I think about my dissertation and part of my dissertation where I interviewed Black reentry women. And these were women who had dropped out of high school when they were younger and went back to school when they were mature, mothers, grandmothers, right, um, to get their BA degree. And I was interested in how um, their pursuit for their bachelor's degree would impact the next generation female in their family. And so um, Black feminist thought, particularly the work of Sylvia Winter, particularly the work of uh, Patricia Hill Collins, and um, I would say bell hooks, I'm, I'm, I'm doing more reading bell hooks after my dissertation, but it was really Pat Hill Collins um, that rooted me in this idea that uh, a Black woman's experience is different than other women's experiences. I mean, certainly we've heard of Kimberly Crenshaw and her incredible intersectionality um, theory. But what Patricia Hill Collins said, these women, these Black women that I was interviewing, that there's something very different about their everyday experience. And the Black feminist lens allowed me to ask questions and to go deeper into what does it mean to be a woman 40, 50, 55 years old going back for a bachelor's degree and what that means uh, in terms of being a mother. And, and the black feminism then led me into a lot of the stereotypes, particularly that Patricia Hill Collins was investigating in her classic text, um, the uh, welfare queen, welfare mother, um, the Jezebel, these kind of perennial, pernicious stereotypes and looking at that work and then listening to these women where getting a degree meant the world to them. It just shattered 
uh, over and over and over again, um, these stereotypes that persist about Black women. And so I go back to the classic of Patricia Hill Collins, and my work comes out of that, connects to Sylvia Winter's work, connects to Bell Hooks, um, that took me into the work that I do with Black girls. Yeah. Thanks for that question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. You know, we take up these theories, but no one really asks why. Why are you using that one in particular? Okay, so I'll, I'll I'm gonna uh, build a little bit on the on Patricia Hill Collins because I would say my genealogy, I would say Patricia Hill Collins, especially in the work of the everyday, was was very helpful to me um, in thinking about my own work, but much later. Um, but I think in the moment of writing, for example, the dissertation, I would say it was getting to see Patricia Hill Collins call for the everyday um, for in in my everyday. So I when I was sitting here thinking about it, I was like, I remember writing my dissertation in a space where I was where Valerie Kinlock was my dissertation advisor. She was also working with Deidre Price Dennis, who I will, who I tell the story every time I see her and I know she's sick of it, <laughs> but that she used to drop that. She, I remember her dropping off her dissertation um, in the middle, like she came to a, she met with Dr. Kenlock during like a poetry class and Dr. Kenlock had told her to come and drop it off. And so being able to see, see that in action was also a reminder like that we could even do this, that we could mm. be in these places and mentor each other. Um, and then also places like CNV, where uh, that really carved out something in an organization like NCTE, where I got to see, um, and other spaces where I got to see people like Yoli, like Marcel, like Dietra, like just thinking about what does it mean to have Black women scholars who are accessible and so that their research isn't just something that they publish, it is something that they live. And so that was really helpful to me um, as I thought about genealogy because it also made me take serious the call of who I cite. Mm. And so, you know, for a, a long time, when I think of genealogy, there are probably scholars that I've cited uh, through the dissertation work and a little bit on the other side that when I go back, I'm like, mm, you know, I don't see congruency anymore. Mm. And so I want, I don't know if I'm going to quote or cite, but I think as of now, I'm continuing to quote and cite um, not only people who I would consider, you know, really my mentors in North Stars, but also all of the up and coming scholars as well to let people know like this is, you know, this is the, the road you take, right? Like this is the this is the next thing. And so my genealogy is is informed a little bit differently. It, it's partially scholars. Um, but it's also people like Patricia Hill Collins who gave me a framework to determine who will be the scholars I follow. Mm. So, yeah. Beautiful team. Autumn, go ahead. You were going to go before. We're a kind group. You know what it is? <laughs> you can feel the love, right? If yeah, we're like, I don't, yeah. We'll I'll be feel hugging each other. <laughs> I, I love y'all. And I feel like this is, this talk is a virtual hug, right? Mm. Um, it feels good. I think that similarly, Patricia Hill Collins was my first introduction to um, Black feminism and Black feminist theory and praxis in particular. Like folks have talked about already what it means to 
write about this work, but also live this work out, right? To live in community with other Black women, to love uh, Black folks and people who live at the margins, right? I think this was what it looks like. I think Patricia Hill Collins' work introduced me to what it looks like to practice my theory. Um, Bell Hooks is also a large part of my personal scholarly lineage. Um, I think I came across her work when I was writing my dissertation at a time when I was doing a lot of healing from my own uh, curricular violence that I had experienced and educational violence, right? And the first thing I remember reading from her, a homegirl introduced me to it. She was a doc student at the time too. And she introduced me to Bell Hooks' Talking Back. Hmm. And I remember reading that and like almost feeling my inner Black girl being like, you can talk back. You can do this. It's okay now. <laughs> and I think that that transformed so much for me to know that I can not only like talk back and speak in situations where I feel like my voice is restrained, but I can use that to speak back to what injustices that I'm seeing in the world. I can use that in my scholarship, in my personal relationships, my family relationships, all of it, right? Like it almost felt like she gave me permission. Um, and from there, I just continued to read and devour her work. And I think then from there, also being able to be in community with folks like uh, Yolanda and Deidre Price Dennis and my doctoral advisor, D Jennifer Turner, all of these women who loved me, but also believed in um, the work I was doing and allowed me to just show up as me, as the Black feminist that I was in my work. And so it, it taught me, I feel like Black feminism teaches me practice, praxis. It, it has helped me to heal. It has um, helped me to think about the kind of researcher I want to be, the kind of mentor I want to be, right? It has, it has really been this kind of full wraparound in my life. Uh, and so that is where my lineage kind of goes. And um, I think if I think about where it's going, I'm thinking more about um, what it means outside of like the tangible scholarship that we're used to, right? Like, what does it mean for Black feminism to show up in our music? <laughs> what does it mean for it to show up, um, of course, in our poetry? Audre Lorde is someone else who I really love, who teaches me about joy, right? And celebration. Um, but what does it mean to be in our movies? The Color Purple is coming out. What does Black feminism look like in this text that was then converted to a screenplay. Um, how does it show up in spaces, in uh, critical spaces of learning that the academy doesn't always acknowledge? Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about draw, what it means to draw more on texts that are not publications in that same kind of sense. Wow, that's beautiful, Autumn. Mm, wow. This is a dream conversation that we're having. Um, wow, this is great. Thank you and beautiful. Um, I did not go through a traditional teacher education program. I was an English major as an undergrad, and then I, I went into a master's program in English. Um, so my teacher educators were Black and Latina feminists. I, I learned pedagogy from Black feminism um, when I first started teaching, I was 22 years old, and I was very aware that I had not taken any education classes as an undergrad, 
And so I bought Bell Hooks' Teaching to Transgress in 1997. And I said, okay, this is it. She's going to be my teacher. I didn't know the term. I didn't even know the term teacher educator, but that was how I saw her. And I read Teaching to Transgress from cover to cover, and I continued to read it from cover to cover for the rest of my career. And I thought, well, this, this must be it. This is what teaching is. Bell Hooks is teaching me what not only what Black feminist pedagogy is, but what pedagogy is. I didn't know any differently. What I had known was I had read in my AP English classes, James Joyce's Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And I thought, this is a book that I identify with in terms of having been bullied as a kid in 1980s Reagan era, white Republican Long Island. And being, and I had short curly hair and I was called all kinds of names racist names on the playground by other children and came home crying to my mother and then reading James Joyce as a 18 year old on Long Island and thinking, why am I identifying, identifying with this white boy in Dublin? And why haven't I ever read an actual Latina author in this entire expanse of my reading life? And that's what propelled me to go to a women's college. I went, I went to Smith. I was very important as a first-generation student. My parents did not go to college. Um, and I took a very important course, Latina and Latin American women writers. And that's where I found and read Shiri Moraga and Gloria Anzaldúa and Ana Castillo and just like a whole host of Latina feminist authors, in particular queer Latina Chicana feminist authors who were mirroring me back to me. And I thought, this is it. This is the language I've needed for 18, 19 years, but I didn't have it. Um, so by the time I read Bell Hooks, it all made sense. Mm. And I used, talk about North Star, I used Bell Hooks as my North Star as an early career teacher. And then as I continued through my career, I started teaching Toni Morrison's Beloved, and that became a centerpiece of my teaching. Beloved is like the core text, I think, that I traveled with for those 26 years in different schools, different contexts, different school communities. But I continue to teach Beloved, and every single time she, Toni Morrison is a pedagogue. Mm -hmm. um, she is a, the way that she engages writing, you know, unveiling certain truths. Um, and the other important text for me, uh, I'll just say two two more texts are, again, as well, Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. Um, I really love her piece on uses of the erotic. Um, you know, this idea that we, that teaching itself is a form of the erotic, right? The pleasure, joy, engagement. Um, and then also, I really love, my favorite is, the Kumbahi River Collective's Black Feminist Statement. That is a piece of pedagogy. I think every single teacher should go into emerging teacher, veteran teacher, whatever teacher, you should read the Black Feminist Statement every single year, not only for yourself, but with your students. If I could get the Black Feminist Statement in every single school, that would be what we, that's what we need. That all of you are doing that work. When I read each of you, that's what I think. We need to be reading all of you, the Black Feminist Statement, that th those are the pedagogies we need. Well, you know, um, 
Yes. Yes, Ileana, that was amazing. And I was thinking how, Tamara, I don't know if you remember even Autumn, but a few years ago, like Dietra, you mentioned Dietra Price-Dennis, Marcel Haddix, Goldie Mohammed, Sherelle, Arthur, my, Sherelle MacArthur and myself, we were so deeply inspired by the Kahambi River Collective that we formed uh, kind of a Black Girl Literacies Collective. And uh, in 2016, English Journal, um, really, I think it was the first time that an entire special issue had been dedicated to, um, to Black girl literacies as we've been writing in it. And so that, that inspiration runs really deep. And, and if I may, I don't wanna take the conversation off too much, but if I were to introduce a male into Black feminism, I'd have to bring in James Baldwin particularly because of the way Baldwin, if you do not mind me bringing him in, writes about the everyday Black woman with um, respect uh, and also revere, um, just a revered space um, in his heart, in his mind. So um, I just wanted to think a bit beyond right, some of these amazing iconic writers and also give a nod to Baldwin who understood the power of the Black woman and dedicated so much of his writing uh, to the brilliance and beauty of the everyday Black woman. I wanna also say real quick, since you mentioned the English Journal uh, special issue that came out in 2016, that was my first year of grad school and reading that alongside Bell Hooks' Talking Back, right? Like felt like it was giving me permission it to, to show up in this space, right? To show up and do the work that I wanted to do. And I think to Ileana's point, that is part of Black feminist pedagogy, right? Like that special issue, all of the women who put that together, y'all are Black feminist pedagogues and even the way that you have mentored me since um, and welcomed me since the very first day we met is part of that. And so I think even just, being able to be in this space with you feels really monumental because you have been one of my Black feminist mentors. That's because you dope, Autumn. <laughs> oh, no, thank you for that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Thank you for pulling all of us together. See, we need this because we're learning all the time. That's beautiful that you came across that at that time. Wow. Um, it's really inspiring. I mean, I'm on like the beginning journey of my um, PhD career, um, you know, still entering into like, still doing coursework. And, you know, definitely these are, I'm thinking of Dr. Celia Ruiz, so, like we've definitely engaged in your work and to be here in this space and to engage in this thought that's being created here is also, I feel like part of this process. Um, so it's just amazing to also hear you all like speak back into the past of these fund fundamental writers who have informed the way not only the way you see the world through your work, but then also the way like you've spoken to like living the world through their their words and their lenses. Um, so with that all in mind, um, how do you all see these Black feminist and related pedagogies in like writing and literacy practices in maybe your teaching world or your teaching life um, or even in, I guess, your professional careers as well? And we can start with, I guess, whoever feels um, compelled to speak first to the question. Um, I felt like Tamara was about to like jump in. I felt like it was like double Dutch going on. And I was watching your body and said, oh. Dawn's telling us about it back. But it's fine. <laughs> run, run it back for me one more time, Chris. Okay, yes. Yeah, so thinking about um, how do you see Black feminist and related pedagogies in, in writing and literacy practices? Yeah, I mean, I think we we kind of uh, 
we kind of started, I think, when um, when Yoli mentioned the Black Girl Collective, you know, Black Girl Literacies Collective, I think the, the, the practice shows up in collaboration. You know, I, when we think about Black feminist pedagogies and, and ways of, of just engaging one another. So Praxis is, is really thinking about coming around. I keep thinking about kitchen tables. I've been thinking mm. about like, what are the organizing uh, elements um, in Black feminism, and so it's it's kitchen tables, it's living rooms. Um, I think it's it's always interesting how whenever I, for example, when I have meetings, folks are really drawn to um, the kind of anti office that I have, mm -hmm. um, which then makes me think of individuals like Grace Player, who created the Women of Color Office Hours, which I think she thought it was going to look like one thing because we already know that. Uh, women of color, black women, <laughs> we all have very particular aesthetics when it comes to our offices, um, but also knowing that they are safe havens. And so for several, for several people, including sometimes ourselves, um, I know for me, when I used to work more directly with students, I had a little, um, I had a little uh, futon in my office so I had a futon, I had like painted the office, my office like this mauvish purplish color. Um, I never really used the overhead lights and, and I tried to keep the door open, but I was always have music on. And all that matters because one day somebody came, a faculty member came by my office and there were like six black women, like just all in my office, undergraduates, grad students, other faculty and that and that mattered because I felt like it was a space where they could mentor and talk to each other. Mm. As the undergrads were like, I'm thinking about grad school, right? And the grads was like, don't do it, girl. And so, you know, and then the faculty are like, well, you know, we're we're also here. So we would love to be able to retire one day. So for us, I think when we think of pedagogy it, and black feminist practice, it goes beyond the classroom. It's those very intimate um, spaces that we carve out and create for one another. Um, and then there's a lot of teaching that happens that doesn't require the kind of like textbook chalkboard um, approach, but it requires like, what's going on? Give me, you know, ha let's have conversations. The kind of conversations they were having with some popcorn, we went from P-Valley to, I think P-Valley was starting to come out. So we went from like P-Valley to a conversation about Meg Thee Stallion to a conversation about somebody was trying to work on a an essay Right. And I was like, that's fine. Like long as y'all, you know, everybody getting what they need in here. And so for me, I think they're just, they're related in that sense that it helps us understand that, um, that there's a collective that's necessary where we really rely on collaboration. Um, and that there's also a very, it's, it's a very intimate, um, framework. Right. And mm. so even when it comes to our literacies and writing, it's it's a very intimate um, exchange and, and process and that is not transactional um, and that it's not, um, oh, I'm just doing this, but knowing that the, you write it and hope that one day it could, you know, clear the pathway for some, provide light and clear the pathway for somebody else. So, yeah, I miss those wow. days. <laughs> it's still there. Just reach out and touch. I just want to. I just want to lift up a piece that um, Dr. Butler wrote. Her, your say her name, 
article um, is critical for my work, particularly my dissertation. Um, when I started in the fall of 2018, I had just been immersed in a lot of sexual harassment, sexual violence, activism with my high school students. And it was really difficult for me to find at that time when I first started, because I, I hadn't really been immersed yet in the literature. Um, research that confirmed my instinct that to engage in Black feminist theory with young people, particularly Black girls in high school engaging with Black feminist theory, was a way to engage in healing and liberation from the different ways in which they had been, uh, could experience sexual violence at school. And so my students had been writing a lot about sexual harassment, in particular from other students, other teachers. And we engaged in about two, three, four years of really intense activism at school. And as soon as I arrived at TC, I started writing about this because it, I was still in the, in the midst of a lot of surveillance from the school administration as a result of this activism. And when I, when I came upon your article, it all came together for me because a section of my dissertation is about one of my students, a young black girl, and how she re was reading Audre Lorde and the Kumbaya River Collective and Bell Hooks and had watched Aisha um, Shahida Simmons um, campus rape documentary, know the rape documentary. Um, I had had very, she, Aisha Shahida Simmons came to my classroom and talked to my students. Um, you know, this, so this was really a deep engagement in my students reading black feminist theory to think through sexual violence. Mm. And, um, so this student, essentially, this was all, oh, by the way, just to contextualize it, this is during the fall of 2016, during the Clinton-Trump election cycle. So we've got pussy grabbing in the background. We've got Trump being so-called elected. Literally the, a week before, Aisha Shahida Simmons is in my classroom talking about the no rape documentary, talking about her love with accountability, initiative to talk about sexual violence in, in, in communities and families. And one of my girls, the one who I wrote um, a section of my dissertation about said, I'm gonna finally break this silence and talk about how I've been sexually harassed at school by my peers and by teachers. And she's the one that I focused a section of this, this research about. And when I read your piece, Dr. Butler, I said, this is it. This is the rationale behind bringing say her name to the classroom because it's a reclaiming of the Me Too narrative, which has become a white narrative, a corporate narrative, a celebrity narrative. And, um, you know, Salamisha uh, Taled and her sister, you know, all the ways in which in which they do really important work to reclaim the Me Too narrative for Black girls. All of that, your work, their work, is a part of how I think through what my students were, were doing and reclaiming their narratives and saying, no, we will not take this anymore in schools. Thank you so much. I The odd part is, I, had, I was like, when you said, I was like, oh, I did write this thing. <laughs> um, but thank you. 
like it, it means a lot I, I think I know we have more people to answer but I just wanted to say um you don't hear it back you think it's like it's a it's like a bird you kind of I feel like publications are kind of like a bird you release into the world and then you know it might be a it might come back and it might not and so I'm glad that it landed with you um and has been helping you so thank you for sharing that Autumn, what are you thinking? I, I was just musing actually over Audre Lorde as Tamara brought her up and Ileana brought her up. And I feel specifically what Lorde has done for me. And Ileana, I'm always giving your punch, not a punchline, but when you call her the Lord, you know, that always kind of messes with religious people in particular, right? But But what she did for me in a space like the Academy uh, is to truly show me that poetry is not a luxury, right? That poetry, in fact, when Autumn was talking earlier about healing, uh, for me, that's what it has been. And certainly we know that poetry, like most art, uh, has the capacity um, to save lives. And so uh, Audrey's essay and just her life in general through her work, um, Sister Outsider, Zami is my name, um, her the actual poems that she's written made me feel like yeah th this is who I am this is what I'm going to do I'm going to heal I'm going to talk about lovers I'm going to talk about what it means to be in a vortex be confused and find peace and it is my scholarship so you know I I, I have to thank you know Audrey and many others and then I there's my contemporaries Mahogany Brown who is an incredible spoken word artist right, who writes what she likes. She writes about everything from incarceration to death and uh, through the lens of Black women. So uh, I want to say that uh, a particular uh, highlight for me uh, in what we call, you know, Black feminist pedagogies is the power of art and specifically the art of poetry to free the spirit, to free the soul, and to heal the Black woman. Yeah. That's where my mind was going. That's beautiful, sis. And yeah, everything you said. Every time I hear everyone talk, I kind of just want to be like, ditto, and then I'm done. Um, <laughs> but I think that, I think in terms of writing and literacy, Dr. Butler, your work on Black girl cartography comes to mind. Um, I love, love, love that piece and read it often. Almost every time I'm writing, I read it because I think that whenever we think about Black girls, space is so important. Um, I often tell folks that I grew up in the Kool-Aid house. Like my mom's house was the Kool-Aid house because it was always just a bunch of kids, right? From like me being younger and having um, all my cousins at the house to it being like the hangout spot as a teenager. Um, and then in college, even bringing my friends home, it was just the gathering place. But I also think about what she did to cultivate that space in the house, right? And what she did to make that space feel so safe for us. Cause there were certain friends' houses that we just weren't hanging out at, right? And so she had to be very intentional about cultivating a space that was for us. Um, and I even think about, I was on a work retreat last week um, I do some work with an organization called Black Girl Smile, and we walked in and we stayed at a Black woman-owned um, location, and one of the first things someone on the team said was, 
I can't explain it, but this place is coded for Black women, right? And so there's just so much that goes into space, how we exist in space, how we move through space, how we create space, and then how we write space. And I think about all of the work that I do with Black girls and cultivating a space is the very first thing that I have to do in order to like do any work with the girls, right? In order to build relationships, we are cultivating space. Um, sometimes that means designing the physical space. Sometimes it means like setting agreements or just building relationships. Um, and then it also makes me think about what it is they're doing to create space in different arenas, right? So I, in particular, study the digital. So what does it mean that Black girls have chosen the digital as their space to create? Like, what, is, what are they telling us that that is where they choose to create space? Um, and then what are the, the things they creating? How do those even think about space? You mentioned Grace Player earlier, and her and I just wrapped up a chapter on, um, it's called Meet Me in Outer Space. And it's all about Black girls and space, or girls of color and space making, right? And I think about as we talked through that piece, one of the things we talked quite a bit about was the spaces that were present in the things the girls created, right? Like how are they even representing space in that way? And so um, I, when I think about uh, writing and literacy and black feminism, that is one of the first pieces that comes to mind for me. And so thank you for that. No, thank you for that. <laughs> See, you know, it's interesting. You never know where your work, how it touches the hearts and the minds and the spirits of folks. It's just a beautiful thing. I was just thinking to myself about the feeling of being in this space, being a fly on the wall. And it, it's just, there's so much love and joy amongst you. It's, it's truly incredible to be here. Thank you. It's a full body full body feeling I've had a lot of chills and just this is amazing thank you so much and uh so you've pushed on the boundaries of of critical feminist pedagogies the physical body the office spaces the maps we draw um the north stars to do the work and to heal how do you feel like your current research pushes on the boundaries of the literacy research field broadly you know, I, if I can jump in, because it also includes um, Autumn, at the top of this vodcast podcast, I mentioned that uh, we were doing some work together. And I think someday, Autumn, you and I need to write the piece, really, about how this whole thing came came about and the whole process of, of working in, with and learning from each other. I learned so much from you. Um, and the actual idea of the project is Autumn's. And that is that uh, 2024 will mark the 25th anniversary of Bell Hooks' All About Love. And the project that Autumn and I uh, are so blessed to have pulled together is um, an anthology of sorts, including artwork and poetry and essays and everything in between um, as an homage to Hooks and the principles that she lays out specifically in All About Love, which for me is, it serves as a Bible. Um, when I think about love, when I talk about love and education, uh, it's Bell's Hooks' book. 
And so I think that the very nature of that book, while there have been plenty of books written about Hooks and her work, I think particularly in our field, uh, in ways that we're pushing it, is the, the multimodal nature of it. Um, that we're bringing in. Uh, the only thing we haven't yet figured out is what is the digital for it. We 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 need soundtracks. <laughs> we need other stuff that we need to think about. But I I love the sanctification of poetry and art and kind of an essay, but not an essay. And you know, scholarly essays as well in this one volume, paying homage to bell hooks. So I think in some ways I have this feeling in my belly that this book is going to mean something to a lot of people. Uh, and we hope it is because it really meant the world to us to work on this project. Um, yeah, Autumn, that's what I was thinking about currently kind of pushing at this moment. Yeah, I wanna double tap what you said about us writing the piece and also how this was a labor of love. And I think in addition to the book being multimodal in the way that it is, we don't get many texts on love and pedagogy. Um, and so for this to be an entire text about love and Black girls in education is one of the ways that we are also pushing that boundary. Um, if we are going to heal in education, we have to have conversations about love. We cannot, we cannot heal without those conversations. And so I think that even bringing in a concept that is often taken for granted, but and kind of uh, can seem really simple, right? To bring in this concept that we see in instances in our everyday lives um, into education, to me, feels like we're pushing boundaries, uh, especially in a time where we're talking about science of reading, <laughs> right? And what what does it mean to, okay? let's let's maybe think about reading skills right not but also what does it mean to like teach with love and not start from deficits and start from human like we're working with human beings and um I think parents and caregivers are sending us their very best thing every day to school right so what does it mean for us to love them and to love them well and I think that I have not seen many conversations of that happen um in book length in this particular time. And so that is how I'm thinking about what boundaries we're pushing right now. Well, we're all just like doing a stare down of like, who's gonna jump in next? Um, it's so I, hard though, isn't it T? Because yeah. I want to take in and sit <laughs> with everything that, like I'm still stuck on stuff Ileana said like 15 minutes ago. I'm stuck on Chris's conversation. Like, and I'm a slow processor. So that's the whole thing about you know, this timing that we're always, you know, time is really just really elusive and not really serving us well sometimes, because for me, I just need to sit yeah. and really let these words hit hard or hit softly or softly, you know, marinate. When you said slow processor, I immediately thought slow cooker, like, a, mm. and I just thought about my mom um, and how she likes to, that's, she likes to throw stuff in a slow cooker. Um, so, I mean, I guess that could be part of it. You know, there's, um, I wanted to jump back to when you, when, when Autumn was talking, I know you were talking about newer work, but there was something about um, the work that your work around parades and Black Girl Parade that I, that I'm a fan of, like, I'm a fan of it in general, but I was like, I'm a, I'm specifically a fan of it because it 
teaches us that we have an opportunity to look elsewhere. Like we can keep looking, um, we can keep looking and listening elsewhere. It also helps us think that education and literacy research, I mean, I think we've been there, but it's it's more expensive. It's the things that it's the it's it is embodied. So Tori, when Tori was like, I'm having a full body experience, I'm like, that's that's how it's supposed to be. You know, that's what education is supposed to be. Um, I really enjoyed hearing some presentations recently where individuals were talking about body. Um, and I came back and had a whole conversation with someone else about embodiment. And so I think for us, the we're pushing the boundaries. I'm not sure necessarily about my current research because I'm taking a little bit, um, taking a couple of different turns and we'll see which one works. Um, but it's, is A is revisiting some of my previous, some like previous work. The other things, like I said, because I'm back home is asking me to, to do the slow work, um, to do some, some things where I'm very interested in, in being outside and what can we learn from being outside? What can we learn from across generations of being outside? Um, that it is a that's about it's about a sound so i just saw an exhibit done by one of my classmates um fletcher williams the third had this whole installation at the international african-american museum and one of and he used like multiple colored weaves um that he kind of draped across and then he had this sound and it sounded like rain and then it sounded like crickets and so when when you take it all in from a distance it kind of looks like uh it looks like moss on a tree um or and it and because i'm from the i'm from the country so i was like yeah this looks like moss on a tree and it feels like outside it feels like i'm standing outside with my mom who loves to look at the stars and hear the crickets and the frogs i'm like i'm trying to get in the house um but there's something there where i think our research is asking us or i'm hoping it is that it's asking us to slow down um and try to find space for us to 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 really like reevaluate our relationship to one another you know what i think there's so much violence right now going on there's so much confusion and chaos literacy research is yes asking us to to like be attentive to that i think for me i'm trying to get to a place where i'm like i want to slow down you know, like I want to be able to take in the sounds. I want to be able to share those sounds and those feelings with people and remind us that education and learning in particular is an embodied experience and that is slow. You know, it's it's not it's not uh, in a world of so much social media and constant consumption. It's a people have to process <laughs> people need a minute. Um, and some space to, to take that in and, and figure out how to learn. And it's not about regurgitating things for a test, but like, did I really make sense of this thing? So that felt like a lot, but I that's that's really where I, where I feel like my research is, is taking me to say, yes, I recognize we do not have a lot of time on this earth, uh, but that doesn't mean that I have to live it fast and dirty. You know, like I can, I can live it slow. Um, and joyful and um, in community with others. 
You know, T, that's so beautiful. And, and what's interesting is um, the direction my work is going in, which it really is full circle, is more of healing-centered education. And actually, the first thing that we have to do in healing-centered education is to slow down and be mindful and to practice this type of mindfulness about the moment that we're in um, and not so much where we want to go because what's most important is to be in full presence. But as I was listening to you speak, everything you were saying really is a Black feminist pedagogy. We were never written to be central. We were always written to be on the margin, outside, if you will. And because of that outside marginal perspective, it's given us a very, I think, insightful and unique way of seeing and doing and being. And when we've held on to that, that's when we have been our most creative, our most productive, our most um, uh, powerful in terms of our resistance. And so all that you were saying made me think of, yes, that is the Black feminist pedagogy. And those of us who continue to embrace it, whether we embrace it through Sylvia Winter or Audre Lorde or Pat Hill Collins or Bell Hooks, you know, fundamentally, it really is about freedom of the mind and the spirit and being on that margin so that you can see in a very different way, the stars, the sea moss, and certainly the academy which is a space that did not want us to be there, which um, I'm grateful for this kind of special vision that I have because it allows me to uh, continue to be myself. So thank you for that. And yeah, that's where my work is going, healing-centered education. I want people to heal, period. That was one of the reasons why I chose TC and to work with you, Dr. Celia Ruiz, which there was, I, I, there was, no, there was no competition when it came to you um being my doctoral advisor at TC um I'm thinking a lot about this question and, and all of your responses um because I'm coming to the end of of writing my dissertation and I, I wrote it as a as a three article dissertation and so one of these pieces thank you um one of these pieces is um as I said earlier this like Black girl reclaiming the Me Too narrative and through digital space as well, and pushing back on um, racist sexism and at school and sexual violence. And then another um, piece is about a Black trans femme, Afro Latinx trans femme, at the at also one of my former students, um, reading Black feminist theory and and kind of coming to her own consciousness about um, Black trans feminism. And both of those students are reading Kambahi. They're both reading Lord, the, the Lord, um, as Aisha Shahida, um, or as Alexis Pauline Gums and Aisha Shahida Simmons would say. And um, the first piece is about kind of Black and Latina feminist pedagogies broadly in my own work. So those are the three pieces. And as I've been writing, through these three pieces and, and getting and kind of moving to the end is, um, and also closing this these 26 years, is my own feminist teacher archive. And the fact that I've collected so much over 26 years and kept 
papers and syllabi and materials and objects, but also a digital archive of videos and media and blog posts. It's just a lot. And uh, last spring, um, Dr. Butler, when Autumn and I, you took us through this beautiful tour. So Autumn and I are on are both in um, cultivating new voices cohort together through NCTE. And all of us, I think, are cultivating new voices, women. Um, Dr. Celia Ruiz, Dr. Butler, you're both alums, and Autumn and I are in the same cohort. Um, so this is a convergence of C and V as well. Um, so when you took us on that tour, it was really beautiful and powerful, and it really has stayed with me because we were literally in an archive. We were looking at files. We were looking at paintings. We were looking at we were in a classroom. I love that section of the tour. We were in an actual classroom. That in itself is an archive. Um, it was just so beautiful. And, you know, it was, and I kept thinking about my own pedagogies and curriculum and activism with students as archive. And you can't see, but right now next to me is like boxes of the past 26 years. Um, and it's just like, it's sitting here waiting for me to finish my dissertation because it's all there. And, you know, part of my dream for my dissertation, I'm saying this also in front of Dr. Celeris, um, I had this fantasy that I was going to create an exhibit at TC of my actual archive. So look what I put in the chat. Speak it into being. <laughs> We're having a party in the chat, just so y'all know. Yes. Oh my God. So this is my dream. I've been having, I thank you for saying that because I've had this fantasy of creating this archive exhibit. And I don't know how to make it happen at, at TC. I've been thinking through it. Um but it's a lot because I know many feminist teachers out there and we're kind of like a, we're kind of a crew, but our work isn't really visible. And so when I came into PhD life, I really came into doctoral life because I wanted to find the people who were doing this work and who were writing about it because I knew the people who were doing it as praxis but I didn't necessarily know the researchers who were writing about feminist teaching. So that was one of the reasons why I even entered doctoral life in the first place. And so now I'm coming to the end and I'm like, how do I look at my own archive? And that that's kind of my thinking and dreaming and fantasizing for the next step. Make it happen, Eliana. There are no boundaries. The boundaries we set are the ones in our minds. Exactly. I was going to say, let's, Let's talk. When you were when you were talking to me, I was trying to remember. We could do this off. We could do this offline. But it was trying to make me remember um, someone who had did something not necessarily similar, but did an exhibit of like artifacts from their own um, experiences and think and then using some of those experiences. It was about being a an immigrant student, um, and then what did that and then moving to this place and how people and then connecting with other immigrant students. Um, and migrating students and under and just trying to map that out literally of they did self portraits and and conversations and and did a art exhibit and so I think the same thing um, all things are possible and I think it would be really fun if you could talk with at some point an archivist and a curator um, just to get some ideas so. 
you all, uh, beautiful, for holding that. And I just want to acknowledge, uh, last thing I'll say, Ileana, that this is an emotional moment for you. And uh, the closing of one chapter, literally, and the opening of another. And just sit with it and savor it and um, enjoy every moment and be fully present with it. It really is quite a beautiful accomplishment, like Autumn said, and exciting to be carrying all of those 26 years with you or whatever you choose to carry, but also don't be afraid to leave some of it behind as well. Well, thank you all for your beautiful words today. I feel like beautiful is like the right word to describe everything because in this conversation and in this train of thought, but even like just the way um, everyone was speaking to the questions, it's just, it feels peaceful. Um, and I can't wait to go back and listen to everything and share it with the world. Um, so on today's podcast, we heard from scholars about critical feminist pedagogies. Um, our distinguished panelists have sparked a conversation about pushing the boundaries of the academy with critical feminist pedagogies and the embodied work of being a scholar in this time and space. I wish we could really go back through this whole conversation and pause after each person spoke to marinate in all of the words that that you said but thankfully it is recorded so i hope that those listening have to, had the time to to pause throughout and really think about what was said um thank you so much for your time and for this conversation and we're very excited to share this podcast with the writing and literacies the community and beyond thank you Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. You.